Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better and welcome to part two of this week's face-off on monday's episode we experienced a kind of magic with 2018's bohemian rhapsody but now the show must go on and today we meet our challenger step forward reginald kenneth dwight yes hoping to emerge victorious in this week's clash it's elton john Saturday night's all right for fighting, but it's a Thursday, so we're going to use our words to settle this musical battle royale as we welcome our challenger, taking on Bohemian Rhapsody from 2019, it's Rocket Man. So which movie will be able to scream, we are the champions by the end of this show? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. How are you both? You good? Looking yep. forward to chatting? Yeah. Looking forward to getting your chat on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you sound excited, Victoria. Christopher? Yes. Let's get it. Let's get on with it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Jeez, no time for pleasantries. Um... Right, so it is this week's round two. Bohemian Rhapsody versus Rocketman. Chris picked these movies. Chris, remind us of the connection. Um, I called it Battle of the Biopics. Um, Though, obviously, at the start of last episode, we talked about quite a lot of similarities from the director to the subject matter. But before we get into them, I want to ask you two a question um, about these two films. Just a general one. So these both these artists sold hundreds of millions of records. Um, but Elton outsold Queen by quite a bit. So why do you think the Queen film outgrossed Elton by so much? That is a good question. Honest answer? Mm-hmm. I think, I, I think A, because Freddie Mercury is a, a, a more uh, enigmatic character um, perhaps than Elton John, and B, and I, 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 this sounds kind of weird and dark, but it's because Freddie Mercury's dead. Um, I think there is something uh, uh, about dying young and becoming a legend than sort of, you know, growing old in the public eye that people are desperate to know about uh, them and sort of there's, there's an interest there because they're no longer with us, I, I think, mm, perhaps. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good answer, Alex. I will accept that answer. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. I always get tense when you say I have a question. So I'm, I'm pleased. Uh, I'm pleased I, I appeased you. Yeah, no, it just it was really when I, you know when I was researching this and looking down the list. Uh, Elton's the fourth most successful artist of all time. Um, uh, and then just below the top eight, which sold over 250 million. Then you've got you've got Queen, who aren't far behind. But I just thought it was interesting that that, that the Queen movie so dwarfed. I think the ratings also got something to do with it. It was a 15. It had more adult stuff in it, whereas Bohemian Rhapsody was, I guess, more of a family film. And I know this sounds stupid, but I did wonder if that John Lewis ad with Elton John did steal some of Rocket Man's thunder. Um, it was a very good ad. It was quite moving, showing him as a kid playing the piano. It was quite similar to some of this film. Yeah. <laughs> I wondered if that had an effect. What, like if people have seen, seen the yeah. advert, they're not going to go and see the film? Is been, there, been there, done that. Yeah. Oh, I know about him. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, to come at it from a personal angle, and I know I spent a lot of Monday's episode going on and on about how much I love Queen, but I, I don't know whether it applies to everyone. And I'm sure there are a, a huge Elton John fans in the world. But for, for me, I, I think Queen's songs, like... I've I know Queen's work better. In fact, what am I saying? This is a very personal way of looking at it. I just know Queen's music a lot better to the point that, like, I walked into Rocket Man the first time I saw it and I didn't know, um, like, what songs were Elton John's. And I will say, I came out of the screening of Rocket Man and I downloaded, I went straight on iTunes for the Tube Journey Home and downloaded loads of Elton John because like this movie made me love his songs like that I didn't know were his like I didn't even know that bit in Almost Famous where they sing Tiny Dancer on the coach I was like that's a great song from Almost Famous that was written for the movie Almost Famous (laughs) that's depressing Alex that's how little I knew about Elton John's music sorry I've depressed you Chris but yeah that's the truth (laughs) right then uh, Chris you gave Victoria um, this movie didn't you yep Yep, here we go. Are you ready? Rocket Man is a musical fantasy from the world's most despondent glitter demon, a.k.a. Elton John, as he unreliably narrates his journey from suburbia to stardom to support group therapy, taking in truly awful parents, Richard Madden in a little dressing gown, a Woolworths pick and mix of drugs and booze, except it's not Woolworths because they never sold cocaine, and even if they had, it wouldn't have been the sort to give you a heart attack, which is what Elton John finally has, before sorting himself out, making amends, and learning to hug the child within, leading to our happy ending, where he's 28 years clean, fabulous, and perhaps more importantly, loved and not dead. <laughs> is that a dig at Freddy for being dead? No, Jesus! <laughs> Don't say that! Of course it's not! Okay, just checking. So how does it feel to be a star? It's never going to last. Let's just enjoy it while we can. First sleeping arrangements, kid out. All of this is gone. I just hope you realise you're choosing a life of being alone forever. Don't you want to just sing without this ridiculous paraphernalia? People don't pay to see Reg White. They pay to see Elton John. Sorry. Pardon. Hey, how much pressure I'm under? Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Maybe I should have tried to be more ordinary. You were never ordinary. So, 
I would like to start off by saying this is my first watch of this film because I hate musicals. <laughs> so I didn't want to watch this at all because I knew it was like a jukebox musical and it would do the sort of the breaking of the fourth wall and breaking of the form that musicals do. And I just don't like musicals. So I was like, this is not one for me. Although I do like the songs of Elton John. However, I've since watched it and I don't feel like that anymore which is good. So how do you two feel about this? Is this your first watch or do you love a musical or what? I, I watched it when I, I meant to see it in the cinema, never got round to it. And so I watched it when it came on Sky and then watched it again for this episode. And I am, I would say my love of Queen and my love of Elton John is about neck and neck. Okay. You know, I love them both dearly and their music. So this was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw this film uh, at a screening um, because, and this is great because it's complete parity between the movies in terms of personal connections. I hosted the premiere uh, for Rocket Man in Leicester Square. Uh, so um, I'd, I'd seen it in preparation for that. And as I said a moment ago, I um, I went too early, um, but um, I, um, I came out of this uh, a convert um, and a, a real, a much bigger fan of Elton John than uh, I was before I walked in. And uh, I still listen to his music regularly now. So this uh, had a transformative effect on me, um, this film. Um, I mean, I did know some of his work. Like, you know how I like songs with really insanely catchy slash annoying moments. So Crocodile Rock was often on repeat <laughs> because of the, la, 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 because that's, that's just me. I like things like that. So, yeah, it's, um, I am... Um, I, I, he's never going to be queen for me because I came to him late. But yeah, I, I love this. I love I love the fact that this movie is a musical uh, did as you, well. Did you interview? He could have done with that. Did you interview Elton at the premiere? I did. Yes. Did you not yeah, say saying. to him that maybe if we do this in the future on my podcast, could you come and be a guest? He would have been a great oh, yeah, guest. He done. Yeah, he would be uh, so good. He really would. He'd be excellent. Yeah, no, he would. He would. I, 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 honestly, if you could see me right now, I'm like Paul Bettany in the Da Vinci Code. I got a belt around my leg and I'm tightening it. I, I've screwed up again. I'm self-flagellation this end. All right, mm. don't let it happen again. So let's talk about how this film got made uh, briefly, um, which does hark back to something I said on the Bohemian Rhapsody episode because this was produced by Rocket Pictures, which, as you know, is Elton John and David Furnish's company. So... Straight away, you've got the man that it's about with some creative control. Although he said Elton John says that it was David Furnish that was mostly on set, it's still it's this is just a personal thing, but for me, it removes that threat of misrepresentation. So it's a more comfortable view when you know that the man that it's about had something to say about how it was made. Um, having said that, it was in development for quite a long time, about twelve years before it got going. Um, and Elton John said it needed to be R-rated. Um, not to gloss over the drug addiction that he went through or his sexuality and required, quote marks, a bit of strangeness to it, which I think it completely nails, um, which we'll come back to. At one point, which I wish this had happened, it was going to be Tom Hardy playing Elton John, <laughs> which yeah. like Taron Edgerton is incredible, but I mean, there's room in my life to see Tom Hardy in that orange demon suit for sure. Um, so it's a bit of a shame that didn't happen. Um, but then eventually you've got Taron Edgerton um, and, and Dexter Fletcher, and uh, Paramount were the distributor because Elton John said no other studio would touch it with a barge pole, <laughs> which mm. is a nice vote of confidence. Um, but in his own words, he hasn't led a PG-13 life. So it was possibly a bit more of a challenging sell. 
Um, and then there was there is all there would be naturally some questions about uh, Taryn Edgerton, who's heterosexual, playing uh, arguably the most famous gay man in the world. Um, but we come back to my first point, which is it is a film about Elton John, and Elton John gave it the okay, so, as in you can play me. So that to me is kind of the last word on that. If the man that it's about says this is the kid, this, he stays in the picture, then that's it. <laughs> um, and something that I think it's important to point out, which because it. Cause it sort of uh, augmented my experience of it, if you haven't seen it, that the songs are used to tell the emotional story of the film rather than the way in Bohemian Raps, it's like, this is how we made this song, this is how we made that song. So like a, a jukebox musical, which initially I was like, oh, I'm just, uh, you know, not my thing, um, but it definitely won me over. Um, so that's kind of it, unless I've missed anything hugely entertaining. Uh, I just thought one interesting aspect of it is that is that Elton John's diary is booked up for years and years in advance, basically, because of who he is. And so uh, Dexter Fletcher was talking about the fact he was under an enormous amount of pressure uh, while making this because they knew that Elton John was going to be in Cannes in May and he was told, that's your deadline. And they didn't even know if the film would get accepted to the festival, but there was no way around it. They were only making that film if it was done in time for Cannes in May, which was... I think a year away or less than a year. And so for a film like this with so many digital visual effects, all the, the, you know, the choreography, the music, which was a very complicated, um, you know, re-recording all the, all the songs and then uh, making the film to these new versions. I think it, it sounded like it was a stressful um, production. Yeah. But he did it because it got, I think it was, it was not only accepted to Cannes, it got a, a huge standing ovation at the screening there i'm i think there's some footage is it, i think it's on youtube or something where you can see um like Tar- taron edgerton is like you know welling up uh at the reaction and everyone's on their feet and it's um yeah they loved it at can this movie and that's 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 all that's my the end sorry i'll, I'll say end can story <laughs> sorry i just didn't know if there's anything else to say sorry i wasn't i am listening um okay so. I, do you I love, let me say this though, I, like, because Dexter Fletcher, I think, is an absolutely fantastic director. He's a lovely bloke as well. Um, I actually, I met him years and years ago when um, I had a, a walk on uh, part in the BBC show Hotel Babylon, uh, and he was very <laughs> Did nice. You- <laughs> Did you play a TV presenter called Alex Zane like you always do? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have range, man. I have range. They just don't ask me. I'm not. At, they just keep wanting the same thing. They're like we know, we know that you're good at that. We got that. So he was lovely, and um, I've met him a few times since then at various bits and pieces. But like, even if I hadn't, like, you look at the movies he's made. Like, I really enjoyed his debut, Wild Bill. I think Sunshine on Leith. If you've seen that, it's a um, uh, musical uh, with the music of the Proclaimers. Yeah, um, it's. <laughs> Honestly, so good. It's such a like a real, a really feel good movie. And um, I liked Eddie the Eagle. I thought that was great, if only for the scene where Hugh Jackman does a ski jump in a leather jacket with a cigarette in his mouth. I was like, <laughs> sold, sold on that. Uh, and I, ju- I only found out when looking uh, um, uh, at stuff for this show. Um, Sherlock Holmes three. I didn't realize he was doing the new Sherlock Holmes in place oh. of Guy Ritchie. Uh, uh, which is great. I yeah. think he'll be great at that. So, so yeah, I think he does it. I think he does it visually. This film is quite exceptional, especially some of the fantasy sequences and especially 
like recreating things like Dodger Stadium. I think it looks cool. Yes, it does. I think it's funny. Dexter Fletcher and Taryn Edgerton, when they're in interviews together about this film, it just, it just, there's a sense for me of overwhelming, like, oh, like, I'm really glad that this worked out because it, it worked out brilliantly and you two really deserve it. I, I don't know why I feel so like warm towards them, but it's, it's, I don't know, it just seems like a nice story. Like, I don't think when this film was initially you wouldn't have you wouldn't necessarily have had Taron Edgerton like earmarked to play him, but fucking Ellie does an amazing job, amazing. Um, and yeah, I just feel like he really deserves all the credit he's had for it. Um, anyway, so to get into the film, basically Elton John. I mean, I really want to talk about his family, and again, come back to the point that he okayed this. So if if it's if okay with him, then it's okay with me. But fucking hell, his mum and dad are just so awful to him, just so <laughs> unloving and horrible. And now he's got a nice nana, thank fuck, who takes him to piano lessons, um, gives him a pound for the bus, which I thought was a bit harsh because she could just wait for him. But hey, it was the 70s or something so maybe not but just the dynamic between his parents you could see why he may have issues with trust and love and whatever else because his dad particularly is an arsehole to him hmm yeah but hilariously I mean yeah. as, a, as a character I, I mean I haven't fact checked any of this movie because as I said Bohemian Rhapsody took me the best part of three days to fact check so um, I don't know what these people were really like uh, but like as he's played in the film <laughs> like he's just he's like you just sort of know that, that like the way he plays this inability to show affection like he's sort of like <laughs> he's a bad father but he's also this sort of uber geek as well the way he sits there listening to his jazz and then Elton John touches the records like never touch my records it's so like he's really good yeah he's brilliant and it's it's interesting because you're waiting for certain lines like Chris said before like some of it is very on the nose and for his dad to say to him don't look at that uh, women's magazine you're not a girl and don't be so soft and you're waiting for those lines because it's set up as a very typical sort of weirdly stilted British family that are incapable of expressing love and you're just waiting for the dad to say to this quite sensitive boy don't be so soft but then when it happens it's like it probably did happen like that because people did used to talk to their kids like that (laughs) yeah um, but do you think the kid said as the kid here says when are you going to hug me dad I'm not sure the kid said that I think he would have just cried and run off it's such Mm. a shame Um, but Anyway, Reginald, as he is then, he has got a gift. He's got a, he's got an excellent ear for a tune. So he's a like a piano prodigy, essentially. He can hear it, play it. Um, and this gift will eventually take him to Denmark Street, where he'll meet um, lyricist Bernie Taupin, who is played by, I always do this, I always call him Billy Elliot because I'm a dick, Jamie Bell. I'm never bringing you along to any interviews. No, I know, I what do. a dick. Yeah. I know, sorry, sorry, it's Jamie Bell. Up. So I'm, I'm interviewing um, I'm interviewing Robert Downey Jr. I know you're a fan. Do you want to pop in? Oh, hello, Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> awful, awful woman. Fuck off. Anyway, um, <laughs> who did you? It's like who did you ask that time what their favourite soup was? I was thinking about that story oh, the other God. day, and I couldn't for the life of me remember. Like I'm, a, a person you. It's Pinhead, uh, Doug Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <that's> <laughs> yeah, the guy was, the poor guy was doing a Q&A and you went, he, 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 he what's your favourite soup? <laughs> but that's the thing. That's excusable because I was a 16-year-old attention-seeking nightmare and now I'm a grown-up woman <laughs> and I'm still doing it. 
Anyway, um, so he meets Jamie Bell and they get on. And so Elton John, as he's then becoming, he needs a lyricist. He's great with the tune, but he, Bernie's got these incredible lyrics and they sort of bond over that. Um, and they acquire a manager. I want to talk about Stephen Graham um, quickly. Um, because yes, do, because he's brilliant in everything. He's, oh, he's just, he's like... He steals it. He's in danger of stealing the whole thing. Like it's a good job that Elton John kind of sacks him when he does. Because if he was in any more of the film, I think he'd have to be on the poster. Like he's fucking amazing. He's a, it's he a tour de force. He kind of plays the 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 Mike Myers role from yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, but but in this and and better and like oh my god, he's not he's not buried under so much prosthetics. Like and like yeah. and going, yeah, he's. He's really good. I do that scene with him. Uh, is it with him? I think it's either with Stephen Graham or it might be with the other guy. There's a scene when he's in that office um, at Taron Edgerton and it, like they go, what's your name? And he goes, Elton. And they go, Elton what? And then it does that, that really sort of zoom in on John <laughs> Lennon's face in that picture of the Beatles on the wall. And yeah. he goes... Elton John and you're like <laughs> okay I just for me that could have been played for laughs a yeah. bit more like he'd zoomed in on one poster first he'd been like Elton Springsteen no wait 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 <laughs> Elton Elton Zeppelin Elton Zeppelin no no Elton John <laughs> like a, a real stupid usual suspects moment yeah there's a line from Stephen Graham, which it feels like an ad lib because it's done so well. And I would really love to know if it's in the scripts. Like when it's going really well for Elton John and Stephen Graham's going to make a lot of money, he's very happy. And he just buttons the scene by saying, I'm going to have a massage, end scene. And it's just so brilliantly done. Like, because he's like rubbing his little hands together, like, I'm going to have a massage. And he doesn't mean a massage, if you know what I'm saying. But it was just so, like, snap. Oh, I was in love with it. Anyway. Um, so we start to see Elton John and Bernie working together. There's something I had a little bit like. I don't think I don't feel like the opportunity was taken as much as it is in the other sections of the film. Like when they're talking about um, them writing your song. So there w- there's the the anecdote that Elton John wrote your song in the time it takes you to have a shave, like five minutes basically. So they show Bernie literally having a shave, and then he's he's knocked out your song, but. To me, you want to do something more narrative with that moment rather than being like, oh, isn't he quick? Isn't he good at doing this quickly? It's like, we kind of get it. Like, we know that he's quick and he's a genius. So maybe do something. Because that your song is such a big song for people that I th- it felt like a wasted opportunity. I think that the way Elton John has talked about that scene, though, is that's how it happened, that he was sitting in that room at that piano and in 20 minutes he had it. And I think yeah. what they were trying to show was that, which a lot of biopics don't show is that inspiration can hit at really mundane moments, you know, when you're just yeah. waiting for your tea. And he said within 20 minutes, I just had this. And I, he said he knew the moment he'd, he'd finished it, that he had something special and that he had taken them to the next level. And so I think, yeah. I think, I think for, for the, this was the one time in this film where they, cause I do quite hate in biopics and they do it quite a lot in Bohemian Rhapsody show you when inspiration hits someone. And those scenes <laughs> always make me cringe. But mm. I kind of bought into this one. And also they didn't overplay. I think in Bohemian Rhapsody, there's quite a, they keep repeating the, oh, and then this song inspiration hit here and here. And, and here, I think they just show it once. This is, this is his process. You know, he gets given the lyrics and he writes the music and then bang, it's done. Yeah. Um, when it really gets going for me, 
when it came together again when i was fully like i this is a musical which i now am in love with was when we get to the troubadour so they tour america um and it's the point when they're doing crocodile rock and uh because the atmosphere in the venue is so electric and it's going really well elton like floats up in the air off the piano and so to me i was like oh i get this now like i i'm excited about what they can do with the musical element as in a musical um, that isn't confined by a stage show because you it's film, you can do whatever you want. So you can have the showmanship, the dancing, you can cut it so that it matches your heartbeat, all of that thing, which is amazing. And for me to feel like that about a musical, it's, that's a big journey for me. Mike, Michael Stipe said that that scene where he's floating, he told Elton John that was the first time he'd seen that moment captured on screen, that feeling you get as an artist when you've got the audience in the palm of your hand. And Elton was saying yeah. it only happens for maybe four or five seconds. You have that feeling where you're going to take off and only, you know, in one in five gigs, you get it. But he said, cause Elton yeah. said that he really doesn't like playing crocodile rock, but he has to play <laughs> it because people love it. And so he, he really, yeah, I love it <laughs> <laughs> from the sounds of it. He really didn't know how they were going to use his songs in this movie. I've got a few quotes from him about this, but he said that when it got to the troubadour scene, when he watched it for the first time and he realized that was where they chose to use crocodile rock, he was kind of upset. But then when he saw the way they used it, he got it. He thought it was per- they perfectly captured something that he that few people have experienced. Yeah, I um, I looked at because I was I, the floating bit where his legs go behind him. I was interested in, and so I, I googled um, Elton John, the Troubadour, and loads of images come up of him floating, like with his legs in the air, like actual photos from that gig, and because. It just takes me a while to put certain things together. I start going, what? how? So what? Did he have? It seems unlikely that they were doing wire work uh, at the <laughs> Troubadour that night, and he was attached to some wires. And then I sort of realised that it's just stills of him slamming his hands down on the piano keys and kicking his legs back above his head. But he does do that, like it's a signature move of his, yeah. or it was. Um, so that's that's the other part of um, the genesis of that moment. Yeah, they show the photo yeah. at the end of the film in the credits, Al, as well. You didn't have to Google it. Oh, uh, I don't I don't stick around for the credits, mate. <laughs> busy, busy, busy. I'm like, <laughs> end good. The minute that's I'm like, great, thank you. Um, so everything's going brilliantly for Elton after that gig, and we're gonna start to see like the the initial sort of seeds of like discontent. So Bernie is a bit busy um trying to shag some girl. <laughs> at Mama Cass's house. So here is Sexy Richard Madden, a.k.a. John Reed, to cheer you up. But he's a baddie, um, and you should know that. Um, so he, I over like the in course both, of the film... I felt like in both films, when these impresarios show up, they should be twirling moustaches. Mm. Like yeah. they, they, they're, so, they're so obviously um, presented as the villains of the pieces, when in reality, again, I feel like they wouldn't have appeared like that to begin with, you know? They might have been in it for the money, but I'm sure they were a bit more, uh, you know, a bit more fun in those first few scenes. Interesting. Yeah. We'll put this under the uh, we'll put this under the headline "Overflow" from Monday's episode. But uh, you're not wrong, Chris, because Aidan Gillen obviously plays John Reed in Bohemian Rhapsody, and you see there's a scene where Freddie um, literally throws him out of the car and goes, "Get out! I'm done with you. Uh, you're not part of this anymore." And it's a really sort of like, "Oh man, Freddie hates this guy." And John Reed is a bad un. Mm. Uh, truth. 
didn't happen at all. They actually left on very amicable terms. John Reed like <laughs> went, I'm going to go concentrate on Elton John. This is Jim Beach, um, who will be played by Tom Hollander in the film. He's going to come in. Uh, he's going to look after you from now. And, and it was a, they, were, they were friends. They were absolutely fine with it. It was all roses. Uh, so, again, an, an, another it's – a, it's a late entry for lies in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, Rocketman, like, the lines that Richard Madden gets as the – once he's that sort of balls out, I'm a baddie, uh, so he's been cheating on Elton and he's clearly in it for the money and doesn't love him. Oh, he hits him. Do you remember, like, he slaps him across the face or he punches him or something? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He makes him come out to his mum and that goes horribly wrong or it, it doesn't go well um but he says to elton john i'll still be ta- you're, you're stuck with me i'll still be taking my 20 percent long after you've killed yourself it's like fucking hell like as lines go of like i'm i'm bad and i don't give a shit i thought it was an amazing line yeah um mm. but you yeah. also you you could you could twist it i know he's meant to be a villain but like you that that line isn't necessarily as callous as it initially sounds because he could be going. It, it could he could be giving Elton John a wake up call, like you know he is basically yeah. going, look, you like you think you're doing this and it's cool, or you you you're doing it because you're angry with me, but ultimately you die and things will keep on going. So maybe don't kill yourself to give yes uh, him the benefit of a doubt. Yeah, I take that point. You it could yeah you could play it either way, I suppose. Um, and then we're sort of in in the section. Bear in mind, this is being narrated from um, the, a support group where Elton John has walked in at the beginning, dressed as an orange demon. Is like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm addicted to sex, shopping. I'm bulimic. Like, I'm a mess, but I'm here. And he's talking us through the events that led up to him walking into that meeting. So things are going out of control, and he he tries to kill himself at a, um, a party of his. It's really sad. And then we get a brilliant bit, which is the song Rocket Man, which obviously we've been waiting for, but done musical style, but really downplayed. So we do have the moment where Taron Edgerton as Elton John shoots off the stage like a rocket, but it's not for the song Rocket Man. It's, uh, he's on a stretcher. Do you remember like a hospital stretcher? And it's really, it's just really good dance. Like it's really beautifully done to show how disconnected he is from his life at that point. And that really happened as well. That's the most amazing thing. I, he he was on stage, like, I believe, uh, I, and I didn't fact check myself, so I'm now becoming part of the problem. Mm. But I believe he was on stage the following night on Dodger Stadium after having that heart attack at uh, a party. Like, yeah. he, uh, he overdosed, had a heart attack, and then the following night did do the Dodger Stadium gig, which is like, you know, I mean, in a really perverse way. Hey, well done, man. That must have been hard. Congratulations. <laughs> well, well um, <laughs> nailed it. Elton recently did, did a live tweet of the film. Um, uh, and... I know. I was watching it the same time they were doing that, and I didn't know about it. I literally started watching it at 7 o'clock on Thursday, finished watching it, thought, oh, I might have a look at what Elton John's saying on Twitter. And when you've, like, he just, that's it for the live tweet of uh, Rocket Man. It's just finished. I was like, what? I could have been doing it with you. Well, luckily, luckily, I was paying attention, um, and I thought uh, my favourite tweet was in reference to this part of his life. He said it took a fairly Herculean effort to get yourself noticed for taking too much cocaine in the music industry of 1970s LA, <laughs> but I was clearly prepared to put in the hours. <laughs> That's brilliant. I've got a really fun quote from Elton John about when he realised he was sort of like going too far and doing too much, and he was in a hotel 
And he rang, I think it was his manager or his management, whoever, and said, um, it's too windy here. Um, can you do something about that? And then just thinking, what? <laughs> like You've just rung your manager to be like, the wind outside, can you fix that for me? Because it's not working for me right now. Um, and then was like, maybe I need to sort myself out a little bit. <laughs> and yet, no matter how hard Elton John uh, would go, he said um, that Freddie Mercury could always outparty him. Is that right? Yeah. So I didn't know that. Would have been nice to see that in the other film. Yeah. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. He just says, how many holes does a straw have? Zero, one, or two. The internet can't figure it out, so I've done what any sane person would do. Ask the Luke and the Pete. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Luke Moore for an unplanned half hour every Monday and Thursday as we talk about, well, anything really, from your emails to life's great mysteries to this guy. The noise you're going to hear sounds like a man being interrupted by a car. He isn't being interrupted by the car. He is making the car sound. <laughs> How on earth is he doing that? How does he make that noise? Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beep, 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 beep. The Luke and Pete Show is a Stakhanov production. You mentioned them. I just wanted to. Did you like that conceit of everything being told from the. The 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 AA or NA meeting, the, yeah. the support group that he he was in. I really like that. And I was I know it had to sort of as the film catches up with itself, but yeah. I was disappointed where that bit ended because I quite liked it as a as a wraparound. I might have liked to have seen him sort of sitting in it again as an as an older man and sort of still doing those meetings. Uh Yeah. 
I agree with you. I I think it's a. It didn't bother me as much as it should do, perhaps, that he is established as an unreliable narrator, um, because it should bother me a bit more. Because especially the stuff with his parents, like I've taken that, I've taken that quite hard. And if he's saying maybe it didn't quite happen like this, because you know that I misremember things or misrepresent things slightly, um, hmm. then maybe that's a bit of a weirdness. But then equally, memory is such a weird. You know, you, you always your memory is completely unreliable, so it sort of makes sense. I do think it would absolutely shock if uh, you were one of the other people in that support group. I thought that. Oh, no, it's like me, me, me. Like, we've all got problems, dude. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he, and he comes in late. He comes he in late and goes, late. oh, I'll be talking from here on in and for the rest of this meeting and at subsequent meetings as well, so shut up. I've told yep. you about that before because you come in late to a lot of stuff. It's because it's a classic power move. If you come in late, you dominate the conversation because you change the conversation when you come in. You know this. That's why you do it. So I, I was know. cognizant <laughs> of that. I was like, Elsa, that's really selfish. Like so-and-so across the room wants to tell you about the time she fucking woke up in the bottom of a bin or whatever with her boss's pants on, but she hasn't got time to because it's all about you and your <laughs> drugs and your shopping and whatnot. Anyway. Um, is that... Is that a story, V, or is that did you, did you just make up? <laughs> that, uh... um, I made it up. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Also, by the way, I got to leave early uh, this week, so chop chop. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute! Oh my god! That's right. Yeah, that's right. The mask has slipped. Reveal all your tricks. That is your second most common trick. <laughs> You've been doing that for such a long time. See how angry I am. Oh, classic you. Classic you. The only good thing about you leaving places early is it gives chance for Vicky to tell me about your psychology and what's really going on. (laughs) So this is why he showed up late and left early today. It's a power power play. It's a power play. We get a good 10 minutes out of that, don't we? Usually. (laughs) Um, Anyway... um, so Elton John literally gives the child version of himself a hug. And uh, as the film, like you say, catches up to himself, he checks in to rehab, reconnects with Bernie. And we're on that stretch of the narrative, like he's going to be okay. Like, And he tells his parents in a sort of, uh, not a hallucination, but a sort of vision that he's not going to let them talk to him like that anymore. And then um, we've got the happy ending, which is that he's been sober for ages he's happily with david furnish he's he's loved he's got two beautiful children he's doing some amazing work for hiv and aids organizations around the world happy ending and why the fuck not they they shot a different ending actually um it was him the original ending the original ending that dexter shot um had him at a concert and he walked out in the crowd he was walking on the hands of all the audience and Dexter yeah. said it was much more elaborate and expensive, but it felt really forced. And so they replaced it with this, which is, I guess it's a little bit more understated, but I, I, it's yeah. also them using the song I'm Still Standing is is the centre point of that. Oh, yeah! In, doing the video at the end, that's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun because that's the first time you've seen him put into a video and actually superimposed yeah. him in Elton John footage, which is kind of the first time I realised, oh, hold on, we haven't actually, because there's a, a duet he has with, Taron has with Elton John that plays over the end credits called, called I'm Gonna Love Me Again. And that was when I realised, and it was only the second time, that we haven't actually heard Elton John through the whole film. There's not a moment where I know. they play yeah. an Elton John, Elton John singing. And I listened to the music producer talking about this. 
he said it was basically cheaper for them to re-record all the songs using Tarot. Um, but, <laughs> but but then they, they did have like when records were playing in the background of Elton John, they were going to use Elton John, and then they decided it would be wrong and unfair on Taron singing to have here Elton singing next to Taron singing because it would kind of call out the yeah. fact that it's not as good. But I just, I hadn't, it's obviously happening, but I hadn't really clocked the fact that it's this Elton John musical where we don't hear him sing. Yeah. That song went on to win an Oscar as well, didn't it? Wasn't that, didn't it get best song, the the Taron Egerton um Elton John have done. There's not much movie? competition, is there, for the Blimmin' songs, though, is there, at the Oscars, I never think. No. No, that's true. Um, one thing I do want to sort of under, uh, talk about with this film um, is the fact that I think it's a really nicely crafted love story, um, but it's just a platonic love story between two men. They get the they get the meet yeah. cute, they get the exciting stuff, they get the meet cute in the cafe, the Regency Cafe. I used to live across the road from that place. Um, they're always shooting films in there. Um, they they have the exciting time. They have the breakup. They they sort of work yeah. their way to getting. They have arguments in public, and then they they end up getting back together at the end. And I just thought it was a lovely angle to take on this film. Um, would to, to to be about this love story between two guys. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's well done. I've never come across this before. Uh, like uh, 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 someone who is just a lyricist. I mean, I, I know they I, I, obviously it's a job, but it it's. It's kind of good that Elton John's songs are quite so lyrically brilliant because otherwise you'd be going, well, he doesn't do much, does he? It's all Elton. <laughs> he does the music and everything. But like the idea that Elton John doesn't write his own lyrics and Bernie Taupin does, it's really strange thing. It's really unique, the relationship yeah. they have. And Elton said that he's never, ever discussed with Bernie what the lyrics will be. Uh, Bernie has never ever said to him, "You've put the wrong music to these lyrics. This, this, this wasn't what I was going for. This wasn't the feeling I was going for." And yet, because people would say, "When I'm still standing," came out, they would say, "Oh, you must have spoken to Bernie about doing a song like this about that time in your life." And he said, "No, he just knows me so well." Um, and there's only two times that it's gone the other direction um, in terms of Elton uh, writing the music first, and that was "Don't Go Breaking My Heart." That was a tune he came up with. And then asked Bernie to come up with lyrics for it. And he said he wanted it to be a duet with Kiki D. And then the other one was he had a line going around his head. He couldn't shake off, which was, what have I got to do to make you love me? And so he spoke to Bernie and said, I've got this line. Can you turn it into a song? Which he turned into, sorry, seems to be the hardest word. But aside from that, Alton said he's never, never written a lyric and never wanted to write a lyric. And then he said, the most, you know, the most exciting part of my process is the day the post arrives with Bernie's lyrics in them. And I've got to read, I read through them and then I've got to decide how I want to, how the music should be. So it really is unique, but it's, it's, it's worked. Yeah. I think it would be nice if we knew, I, I know there isn't really time for it and it's a minor gripe, but Bernie is so forgiving. Like he, he does leave him when he, when Elton John gets a bit, a bit much, it's like shouting at him in the restaurant and stuff, but he forgives him really quickly. And I don't see enough of his character to understand why he's okay to forgive him beyond that he loves this man and that's fine. But then I don't know why he loves him as much as he does maybe because there isn't much said about who he is as a person and what he's been up to in all this time, apart from how it connects with Elton John. No, it's his story. So that's okay. But when yeah. in, in rehab, he's like, I'm really, he basically says, I'm sorry. And Ben is like, yeah, don't worry about it. And you'd think, oh, I don't know. Yeah, but <laughs> it's the, weird thing, the weird thing is it's true though. They, they, they both said that while Elton sort of sent him away and said he didn't want to work with him for a while, they, they, they both yeah. say that they've never ever had an argument or a falling out. Yeah. Um, 
Bernie went away when 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 uh, Elton dumped him, and he wrote these dreams for Heart, and he also wrote we built this city for Starship. Shut up! So those oh could have been. Those God, were, I love that song. I knew I knew you would love it, and uh, those could have been I Elton John's songs. Elton John missed out. Oh on that. my God. God, this man is gifted. What what's going on? It's such an ex. Do you think it's quite an exposing thing to do to give someone essentially a poem and say you want to put that to ch- to a tune? <laughs> like, I think it's quite yeah. I don't know. It's very very vulnerable. I'm not saying you know the answer to the, to this, but when you say you wrote, we built this city. Did he just write the lyrics, or did he write that song uh, musically uh, as well? Because that, that's that, that's interesting to me. I whether don't... he is a, he's a musician who just took a back seat. I mean, yeah. I know I think he is a musician, but like, did he did he write the whole song, or did he just sort of God. say to Starship, "I come, I come hey, with this trivia, city. I come with this trivia, this information, and then you you call me up, and I just don't know. You call me out, Alex. I don't it's know. It's 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 Tilly trivia is meant to be an unlimited resource, and I'm yeah. I'm dipping into that pool, mm. and I want more. And um, one thing that you can't really, uh, obviously, like you know. Uh, he's an alcoholic in the film. And so, you know, I, when I say this next bit, I'm going, that's bad. But like in another film, imagine the scene that I'm about to describe was in another film where the hero is cool and this is just the kind of shit they do. I do <laughs> quite like the bit where he sits down to breakfast and pours half a bottle of vodka in a glass oh, and then tops it up with orange juice and just starts drinking it in front no, of her as she's eating her eggs. It's I sad. Like, it's really sad. It's, it's sad. I, I, uh, yeah, of course it's sad, but you know what I mean. Just that sort of—if it was played for laughs, if it wasn't it's set within the, the the construct of this movie, it's yeah. just. I don't. I'm like, not judging. Ah! Obviously, that's me at an all-inclusive resort holiday. Obviously, so <laughs> yeah. it's absolutely. <laughs> it's all. It's all of us, Vicky. Let's be honest. It's all of us. <laughs> so, do you want to move to the bits, or do you want to? Have you got any? I'm more done. Yeah. Uh, I've done. I guess the only other bit of info I've got on it is is uh, it does really sound like Elton did let them just get on with the film, and and he said that the first time he watched it was in a screening room, and it was the scene uh, his family um, singing "I Want Love," um, which again is a bit on the nose, but he said that made him burst into tears, and then he was crying for the rest of the film. But I just it was interesting mm-hmm. that a film a song that that Bernie Taupin wrote those lyrics for Elton in two thousand and one. And yet he said it was very strange seeing how it could capture really how I was feeling in the 1950s and how my family felt, even though it, it wasn't written for that. So, um, yeah, it's just really interesting must- the way they've taken films from different periods, moved them around in time, and they've managed to make a connection with those periods. Yeah, it must be quite a, quite a unique experience as well to have a film being made about your life that you take a step back from to the point that you do not know what the film is going to look like, what bits they've used, or anything like that, and then to sit down and watch your life play out in front of you, not knowing what bits are going to pop up next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine it's quite a you know quite an emotional experience. Yeah, I bet it is, and it doesn't happen to yeah. that many people <laughs> either. No. No, I mean, I think the best I can hope for is you two doing a short play in the corner of a pub. So I've got that to look forward to. What, when you're dead? (laughs) (laughs) Short play about your life. All right, (laughs) whatever. What a weird thing to want. <laughs> I mean, it's been playing, been playing on my mind a lot. So uh, yeah, just, uh, if you want to just script uh, it and then uh, just uh, hand uh, it out uh, to uh, us, uh, yeah. maybe offer I, I, a bit I, of direction. I, I, 
I am the opposite of Elton John. I'm going to be very hands-on about this. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get right, Brian Singer uh, to direct this. it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, uh, 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 your best scene, Chris? Uh... I'm going to go with um, what you didn't like, Vicky, which was his family watching him compose your song. It sort of sent a sh- <laughs> it's, it's made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Um, I think uh, it's a really special song. So I'm picking that scene. And that's also my favourite Elton John song, because I know you're going to ask that as well. So I, I'd forgotten. Uh, great. Thank you so much. Uh, Alex, what's your best scene and favourite Elton John song? Oh, um, thanks, Victoria. Um, uh, I I can confirm from this end, um, my favourite song uh, ties very neatly into my favourite scene in the film. I'm all about efficiency this week. So Crocodile Rock is my favourite song and my favourite scene is... (laughs) La, 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 la. Love it so much. Do you know know the song I mean? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The the eight-year-old's favourite. yeah, it goes la 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 la. The only nursery rhyme in this film. It's such, but it's such a good song. It's got so much power. That chorus where it goes la 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 la. Anyway, that's my favourite song, and the troubadour scene's my favourite scene. Smash. My favourite scene is. When he, when Elton John goes to see his dad and his dad has got new children and Stephen McIntosh, as his evil, cold dad, gets him to sign a record and it breaks my heart. And he's like, oh, my dad finally cares about me and what I do. And he's like, no, it's for a mate at work. And I was just like, honestly, it broke my heart into pieces. It's, I think it's very powerful. I mean, it's very... Uh, black and white, like your dad is bad, but uh, it's re- it's well done and well acted and blah blah blah. And it's just really stuck with me. Like when he's driving away, and Stephen McIntosh, the dad that wouldn't give a hug, picks up his other two kids. He's like, "Come here, sweetheart. Oh, you haven't got your shoes on. Oh, I'm loving you, Lord, and touching you, Lord." And poor Elton John is like, "Dad, you bastard!" Like amazing, amazing writing. Um, do you yeah. want to know my favourite song though? Is um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> I've been singing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road so much this week that I think I'm having a breakdown. Like I can't stop singing it. I'm never not singing it. I got woken up by the children at half four the other night and I couldn't go back to sleep for an hour because I was singing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Um, I love are that you, song. Are you having a breakdown? Is that, not, is that no, because right you now. feel locked Every lockdown is sort of makes you feel like you're trapped in Kansas away from Oz and Oz is representative of your freedom to go anywhere and do anything. Oh, I'd like to think it isn't. I'd like to think it's because of the complicated key changes, uh, but probably you're right and I just really want to go out. So yeah. um, moving on, uh, MVW, Alex. Oh, great. Thanks for this. Uh, my MVW is um, Richard Madden's hair. Uh, like, uh, it's so fucking awful his hair is the worst i hate it it's terrifying and it makes him the perfect villain for this film because it's so perfect and the bit like where they're bonking in the cupboard and you're like i bet not a single hair is out of place great uh, yep his hair i find it i i, I find it uh, I find it a villain in its own right in this film. It's it, it's there's the antagonist of Richard Madden as John Reed and the antagonist of John Reed's hair as played by Richard Madden's hair slash wig. 
It's definitely a wig. Is it? Um, Victoria. Uh, Chris, MVW. Uh, that talking about that sex scene, Alex, you reminded me to say that that the big news. I, I mean, I wasn't. Let's just go right ahead. I thought you said when they were having sex in a cupboard. Was that wrong? Oh yeah, sorry, I was. I thought you meant the one that they they cut in. Was it Russia? I think the 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 big one where they're all like limbs on the bed. Well, I'm just uh, saying that this uh, this was kind of sold as the first gay sex scene in a major studio movie. That was the big news at the time, and I googled that, and there were loads of articles, and I thought that can't be true. But then when I was sort of researching it, there, there's been a lot. But uh, Brokeback Mountain, Black Swan, Carol, Call Me by Your Name, Moonlight were a few that I th- I thought of, but they were all from independents or offshoots from major studios or subsidiaries. So it really was the first gay sex scene in a major studio movie, which is a big deal. Yeah. What? I that's a ah uh, wow! I did big, not know that. It's a big deal, um, and the fact it and was hugely successful it. off the back of that, which is um, is really something. Uh, but yeah, I, I could have said what was gay sex. The film. Oh, so, I thought you were. I thought it had a resurgence in popularity or something <laughs> like. You were like, yeah, it's, uh, it's. Oh, that's how you do it. Oh, fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can do that. It's never I'd like gone to away. Try that. It's never gone away, Alex. Um, <laughs> as I spent the eighties pretty much only listening to Queen or Elton John, I could have said the songs, but as I did uh, for Being Rhapsody, but I'm going to go with Dexter Fletcher. Um, I think he was put in a really awkward position on Bohemian Rhapsody. And so it's nice to see him spread his rings here and get the the credit he deserves. Uh, as you said earlier, I don't think he's made a bad film. I would urge people to seek out Wild Bill and Sunshine on Leith, as you said. I think they're both brilliant movies. And yeah, it's just a fantastic combination of sound and image and colour and dance. I just, uh, I think he completely nailed it. So Dexter Fletcher. <laughs> um, I want to say Stephen Graham, but that's just to be, that's not fair on Taryn Edgerton. Um, when he walks into AA or NA or whatever the support group is, and I thought we were going to sort of cut away from that scene quite quickly and just get into some music or some dancing or whatever. And he sits down and he confesses his problems. And I was like, oh, he's going to have to cry because that's what's going to happen. And I was a bit nervous, like of I just wondered if too if we were too soon into the film to see an actor having like quite a big moment to be crying and um, saying sorry for all this stuff. And he did it flawlessly. And from that, and then when you think about the singing and the sort of the physical changes he goes through and sort of shouldering the weight and the burden of the addiction and coming out the other side of it, he did a very good job. So he is my MVW. Um, and then if you could change anything, Alex, what would you change? <laughs> I don't honestly know what kind of film I, I, I'm looking for here uh, because I know Bohemian Rhapsody was totally sanitized, And then this was like Elton John saying, I didn't leave a, lead a, a, a PG-13 life. So this is like, you're going to see everything. I just don't feel that we do. I feel no. like, I feel like, I feel like this is still, for all it, like, if you didn't have Bohemian Rhapsody as a, a, a comparison, mm. then people could go, well, remember Bohemian Rhapsody? This is the real thing. And compared to Bohemian Rhapsody, it is. And yet it's still kid <laughs> gloves. It's like, it's not a, a, a warts and all, like, telling of his story. It's, it's still, like, it still pulls its punches. Now, whether 
like what I'm saying I want to see is actually the kind of film that is would eventually be seen by no one. Like no one would want to see it because it would be it would be too much. And, you know, like Elton John's songs might sit uncomfortably with scenes <laughs> of hard drug use. But um, but yeah, I still feel like I, I feel like there's maybe something a little more real to be told as a as a biopic of um, of, a, of both Freddie Mercury and Elton John. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Chris? I want to see a porch. I want to see a tummy. I want to see Tubby Elton John. Uh, Taron Egerton's got a pretty good body and he's got a good body in this film. And I don't think Elton John had a pretty good body back then. So let's (laughs) let it all hang out, you know? (laughs) Okay. Fine. Uh, Mine's pretty simple. I was really looking forward to seeing a really big musical number for uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road because I love that song so much. (laughs) Do do you like it? Yeah, I really like it. And there isn't... um, Jamie Bell just looks a bit sad in a taxi <laughs> and then that's it. And that's not good enough for me. I wanted my Rocketman moment, shooting off, whatever. I wanted him to be going down the yellow brick road um, and it, it didn't happen. So I, it's a shame personally for me, but it's very personal. I appreciate that. I just a quick one. That Rocketman moment when he turns into a rocket, I do love when he ends up on a plane, it just cuts and he's sitting on a plane. Yes! And he's in diff- a different... I-, I love the fact that scenes just start and he sort of like comes around in completely different clothes. I think that's a really, really great way, good work, Dexter Fletcher, uh, a really good way of creating like this idea that he's on so many drugs yeah. that he's just sort of coming around and he doesn't know where he is or how he got into these clothes or he can't remember <laughs> at least. And suddenly he's there and it's yeah. another part of his life and he's just lost however long days two days or whatever so i think that's a really nice way of doing it agreed right uh that's the bits then isn't it uh victoria christopher me let's do the verdict you want answers i think i'm entitled you want answers i want the truth so two films went up against each other this week bohemian rhapsody and rocket man um shall we turn to uh uh who first? I'll go first. I'll, I'll I'll get mine out if that's all right. Unless anyone has a problem, and um, only because it's really difficult for me this week. Um, uh, just to say it in black and white, uh, Rocket Man is clearly the better film. Full stop. Queen's music means so much more to me than Elton John's. Full stop. So I'm very much torn between uh, giving it to like uh, the band that I love and a story that I'm much more interested in uh, and, and uh, or rocket man. And I think, you know, then I'd be giving it to rock like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody isn't really the story though. It's like, it's so far removed from the actual story. That I, am I giving it to something that is just like, you know, a, a collection of what ifs. <laughs> um, so um, to cut a long story short, um, I, I, I'm separating out Queen the band um, from this as a band that I love and giving it to a film seeing as we are a film podcast and we are putting two films up against each other so it's Rocket Man <sighs> done um, this is not the fault of either film but my viewing pleasure was hindered by the knowledge that Freddie Mercury has not been around to influence the script and so I was taking everything I was seeing it was making me nervous about whether or not that was okay and he would be all right about it and because that's not the case with Rocket Man I could just sit back and enjoy it and I did like a 180 I don't like musicals and I really enjoyed it so it's emphatically Rocket Man 
So Rocket Man is the winner, but the man who picked the films has yet to cast his vote. Is it going to be a full house for Rocket Man? Christopher Tilly. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm willing to bet not a single moment in being Rhapsody plays out like it did in real life. And I think that's a bad thing in a biopic. Um, I think it's more like a two-hour montage cribbed from Freddie Mercury's Wikipedia page. That's what it feels like. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, simply, it's. I think Rocket Man's more visually inventive. I think it's really smart the way it uses the song. It feels honest and raw. Uh, there's no competition. Rocket Man is the better film. Rocket Man is the winner of this week's Clash of the Titles. Do you agree? Do you disagree? At ClashPod on Twitter if you want to get verbose about this or indeed get verbose about our upcoming films. What are we doing next week? Victoria, it's your turn to pick. All right, I'm going to say this really quickly because I think you're going to shout. Are you ready? Alex, Jaws, Chris, Jurassic Park. Have that. Okay. That is a great, that is a great double, Vicky. I'm saying it now. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Thanks. Strong. Thanks. Um, and th- thank you for giving me Jaws as well. Um, it, it is a great film, and I literally have just received the 4K Ultra HD um, uh, disc, uh, which I ordered, I pre-ordered on Amazon. So I'm looking forward to giving that a spin uh, on um, on a Blu-ray player on soon. your big telly. <laughs> Oh yeah, on my uh, on my big on my big TV. Uh, yeah, all right, brilliant. Wow, we've got a big clash coming next week. Jurassic Park versus Jaws. Ooh, exciting! Um, I will be back uh, with everyone. Will be back. Uh, I don't know what I was going to say then. Um, That's weird. What was that? <laughs> Jesus, what a way to tell us. That's so cool. (laughs) We can't even see you. Oh, Oh, Vicky, yeah. P.S. You're fired. This is like when Freddie Freddie Mercury went solo. He's kicking kicking us out of the limo, Vicky. You've just killed Clash of the Titles. (laughs) Uh, um, Will all three of us be back pending negotiations next week (laughs) to do (laughs) Jaws and Jurassic Park? Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, Get in touch on Twitter at ClashPod, uh, show at ClashPod.com on email. And if you have the time, please rate and review us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. The three of us will be back in a week. Bye-bye. On Monday. Bye-bye. The three of us. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.